Hey everybody, how we doing? How good is it to worship together? I know it's strange and difficult to actually do that on the broadcast. Um, I have a buddy who goes all out. It's like hands raised, like just singing alone in his apartment. At least that's what he's telling me he's doing. He's like, he goes for it. And then I know other folks who are like, close their eyes and kind of pray through the worship. And then other folks aren't really quite sure what to do with it. Um, but it's really important in this time more than ever, actually, um, that we remember who is on the throne. It's more important, more important than ever that we praise God, even as many of us find ourselves in the valley. In fact, the text that I want to dive into today uh, is 2 Corinthians 1.3. And so if you've been tracking with us faithfully over the last couple months, uh, this is a passage I preached on out of the gate. If you were on team nights this past week, it was a passage that I mentioned a couple times. I've been going back to it over and over and over. It just seems like there's layer upon layer here. And uh, this is not uh, where I'm going, kind of my main driver here in this message today. But right at the beginning of the passage that I do want to get to, Paul says this about praise, about worship. He says in uh, 2 Corinthians 1.3, he says, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles. We're commanded here to praise. Paul's writing to this church in Corinth. He has been through it. He recognizes that they are going through it. And he just right out of the gate is like, hey guys, you need to praise. It's sort of sometimes if you've ever sat in this room, we we're just talking about this with the broadcast team. Like, how, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been here and you were, for those of you who go to um, Down City and you're getting ready to worship and the worship leader just gets up and is like, hey, we, we want you to stand, raise your hands, raise your voice. And you're like, that's the last thing I want to do. In fact, I know some of you may even feel like a little bit bullied by, I don't know, it's like Jen and Brent Mancuso like coming at you so hard, right? Like but th- there's actually something deeply biblical about saying, regardless of how I feel, I am going to step into this place of remembering who's on the throne, of giving praise where praise is due and honor where honor is due and experiencing the joy and freedom that comes from that practice. Paul here is saying, praise, praise, admire, engage in cultivating awe in your life. Um, And I think it's really important in this time that we acknowledge, again, something that uh, I feel like we talk often about sanctuaries, that familiarity can breed contempt. The more you familiar you get with something, um, the less awe-inducing and inspired and amazed you become at life. Um, A familiar spirit like stops praising um, and it stops cultivating awe. You have to choose to praise God in all seasons. Um, and we praise him because Paul says here, because he's the father of all compassion, the God of all comfort. There, there is no comfort like God's comfort. And he has been experiencing this because he is going through a sort of hell of his own that we're going to get to in a moment. And all of our troubles, right? Everything is better with Jesus, even trouble, everything, joblessness, better with Jesus, loneliness, better with Jesus, a pandemic, better with Jesus. Paul, Paul writes, praise God. And there's something about people who praise God in the valley, right? Amen. Something about people who are in the midst of it and they still know whose they are and they still have their eye on the bigger story. So anyway, we're going to jump then into the, the kind of meat of our text today. Verse four, uh, Paul writes, if you're following along again, second Corinthians one, he says, who, this is the God, praise be to this God who comforts us in all of our troubles. 
so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our suffering, so also you share in our comfort. So to make sense of this, this idea, right, of because you have been so comforted, like you should extend this comfort to others. This is something we've talked about. This is an idea that is like central to the way of Jesus. But I want to I want to kind of refresh some things for us. So what I want to do actually, uh, take a moment to talk about tribes. So tribes in the ancient Near East, so the story that this writer um, is embedded in, the cultural heritage, the background that this writer is writing from, is, uh, is this ancient tribe in the Near East um, and, uh, and the way in which they were formed by God that was so different from every other tribe. And if you're, by the way, listening or watching and you're not a follower of Jesus, um, you're not sure what to make of the Bible, you're wondering why even in the 21st century anyone would even be opening up the Bible right now. Um, this, this point I'm going to make is still so wildly relevant if you've ever even looked at the history of religion, even if you want to detach God and divine and love from all of these things. There was something about this Jewish tribe. This, this, these Hebrew people, the story that we as followers of Jesus are connected with that was so wildly different. So these tribes uh, that would exist in this, in this uh, time that Israel kind of emerges, you would work for the well-being of your tribe, which everyone did, like, uh, you know, everyone did, uh, uh, regardless of what tribe you were in. You accumulated, um, you accumulated possessions, you fought battles, you made alliances, uh, all in the name of tribal preservation. And if you did something unacceptable, something shameful, it would reflect very poorly on your tribe. Tribes had gods and goddesses, forces that they followed and worshipped who they believed protected and guided them. So when you went into battle against another tribe, usually, like for land or access to resources or wealth, you were doing battle with them, but at the same time, your god was sort of confronting their god. There were these tribal gods. And so that's actually the subtext of the whole David and Goliath story. And when you won, you wiped them out, you took all their stuff, because what if you left some of their, their men alive, and then later they banded together, maybe the son of the king that you killed was their leader, and they came to get revenge. Like, you couldn't risk any of these things. Again, this is like primal aspects of humanity. Or maybe you killed the men, but you took the woman for yourselves and the donkeys and whatever else you wanted, and those were called the spoils of war. There were rules about how this all worked because tribes had been doing it this way for a very long time. They were brutal and violent and barbaric and primitive. And your tribal identity wasn't just about your bloodline and your gods. It was about safety. It was about safety because the world was and obviously is extremely dangerous. And without protection of a tribe, you could easily find yourself enslaved or worse by another tribe. This was not like picking like a modern political party or religious affiliation. Your survival 
was at stake. And so when you read some of these Old Testament stories and when you go back and read about the origins of, of religion and tribalism, you see them accumulating so many like fighting men and a certain amount of swords and horses and camels or making an alliance with a king, uh, and so on and so forth. This wasn't like a hobby. This was life and death. This was kill or be killed. It was about self-preservation. No matter how many battles you'd fought and won, you were always one battle away from the enemy crushing you and wiping out your entire tribe or killing some of you and taking the rest back to be assimilated into the conqueror's tribe. So it's in this world at this time that we read the story of a man called to be the father of a new nation, a new tribe, one that would exist not just for its own self-preservation, but for something higher. Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. I will bless all the peoples of the earth, it says, through you. This is the story of Abraham's tribe, also called Israel. This was unbelievably radical. However you want to frame it, I don't know your background watching this, like a new degree of human consciousness or like an unbelievable like leap forward uh, in relation to our um, like very primal human instincts. And this idea, you can see how this would take like a long time to actually catch on. And in fact, and I wish I had time to do like a whole survey of this idea throughout scriptures, but Jesus keeps reminding his people over and over and over, keeps reminding the disciples, keeps reminding this tribe Israel who is this prophetic figure towards this the religious elite. He keeps like calling them back to this original calling. One writer says, you actually can't really understand much of the scriptures without being able to palm, like, a, like your hand on a basketball, without being able to palm Genesis 12, that passage I just read. That's what kickstarts the whole redemptive movement. The first half of that book, Genesis, is, is one of just pain and suffering and watching how um, I've, I've laid before you the choice of life and death. And because God is a God of love, he gives us this choice and we continue to choose death. And it's in this moment that God starts with one person at one given time and it says, through you, I am going to bless the nations. So why did I go off on all that? Paul Again, in 2 Corinthians, the God who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we're distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. Why does God comfort us? Well, so we can comfort others. Why does God bless? 
Why does God set apart? Why does God pour out any sort of goodness on anyone? It is in order to serve, comfort, bless, love others. It's always about other people with God. I'm convinced that if God had like a, if God played games and God had like a favorite game, his game would be tag. Like this is God's strategy throughout the scriptures. It's like, you're it. Like Evan, you're it. Adam, you're it. Like go tag somebody else. God's comfort strategy for humanity is this. Go tag somebody else. Go tag somebody else. You've experienced the love and grace and blessing and freedom and joy of, like, from the Lord. Go and tag somebody else. God's comfort follows here suffering. What's amazing about being a follower of Jesus is we don't live for the temporary. Right? The more suffering flows into our lives, the more comfort flows into our lives. It's almost like anything God does for you, it's so you can do it for somebody else. Anything God does for you, it's so you can do it for somebody else. It's just owning that I am part of God's strategy. Elsewhere, Paul writes to the same church. He says, I've uh, received this ministry of reconciliation, this like renewing work of joining God in the renewal of all things. And then he says, it's as though God were making his appeal as though God were making his appeal like through you, like through you, the stay-at-home parent, through you, the barista at the coffee shop, like through you, like the neighbor on whatever humble street you live on. This is such a central um, point of the, of the, in the scriptures. This is like a central part of our story and of our narrative, like saved people, serve people, healed people, heal people, set free people, free others, blessed people, bless others, comforted people, comfort others. And so I'm encouraging us as a church, like in this season right now to just say out loud, like I want to be used. I am okay with this. Like put an amen in the chat or something like, and it's easy to amen all of this, right? But it's difficult to actually walk this out. It's hard. And we can be honest about how hard it is to not put our self-preservation first. I tell stories of like ancient tribes and our primal instincts because so much has not changed. In so many ways, I feel like we've taken massive steps back The internet has revealed just how tribal we are and just how uh, unawake we can be. And so more than ever, as followers of Jesus, we actually need to take hold of our tribal identity, which is to exist for the benefit of all the other tribes. But this is hard. And we are in a hard moment. Paul writes in verse eight, we do not want you to be uninformed brothers and sisters about the troubles that we've experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. So that we, so much so that we despaired, he writes, of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Following Jesus is not the elimination of pain. Suffering and comfort go hand in hand with God. 
you right now are carrying, if you're here in the Father of Jesus, carrying that baton that's been going for 2,000 years. Like the baton where there are hardships to endure and there is suffering. There is like betrayal and loss. That's what Paul's experiencing here. A bunch of fake accusations, all these different pressures and leading in this moment, stepping into our tribal call like requires endurance, requires faith and pushing back against all that pressure that would lead us into apathy. It requires us to embody the fullness of our call, which is not just to hoard our blessing and comfort, but to give it away. Paul said that he despaired, like his whole crew, we despaired of life itself, which is a very like pretty way of saying like we gave up our desire to live. We felt in our hearts the sentence of death. Paul's saying, I want to give up. That's how intense the pressure was. What sorts of uh, temptations towards self-preservation must have existed there? He says, it's like we had a death sentence. Church, when you feel like you have a death sentence over you, you can then be actually tempted to speak a death sentence. Like when you feel the ache and pain of all that's happened, the temptation then is to lean into that as if that's the whole story. We speak these death sentences over ourselves all the time. I'm never gonna make it through. I quit. Best days are behind us. Like this will be the end of me. And we have to speak a different sentence because we're a different sort of tribe with a different sort of perspective and a different story. We have to take hold of the larger story of blessing and calling that we know to be true. I know it sounds a little cheesy, but it's like we need to like speak a life sentence. Like there is blessing in the burden. Like don't waste your pain. Like the reality that God is making all things new. And then Paul says in verse nine, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on the God who raises the dead. He's showing us what God's doing in his life. I don't know if this is like the ultimate why or not. It's just the objective reason for all the hardship that's happening in his life. Like this is why it happens. Like why did all this happen to Paul? This is what Paul though, for whatever, whatever it is, Paul is seeing that this is what God's doing in his heart. Like, why is there pain and suffering in the world? Well, we choose death all the time. God's a God of love. He gives us choice that leaks into the systems and the brokenness of our world, even into our own biologies. This is my understanding, right? My theodicy, a fancy like theological word, how I understand why there's pain and suffering. So there's always the big why, and we need whys to make sense of what we're going through. But we actually need to pay much more attention to that like uh, personal micro why. Like, why am I going through this? Like anyone right now who's making grand statements about why we're in a pandemic and why COVID has happened and why there's racial injustice, be very, very skeptical of, but be on the lookout for what God is doing. Be on the lookout for that. I don't think we personally need to be aware of what God is. We need to be personally aware of what God's doing in our heart. We don't always need the ultimate why, but we do need a personal one. We do need to know, okay, God, what in this moment, like as I am feeling the ache and pressure and burden of loneliness or whatever it may be right now, needing more than ever to engage in in steadfast faith, needing to pronounce life sentences over my life right now. 
Like I need to, like Paul says, I am realizing like in the midst of all of this brokenness coming at me, that God is doing something in my heart. He's teaching me to rely more on him than ever before. Paul is making sense of why they are experiencing what they are experiencing. You can lean, he's saying, you can, we're learning to lean on God in everything. He was delivered from such a deadly peril And it says that God, he writes, God will deliver us again. On him, we have set our hope. What are you setting your hope on? On him, we have set our hope. It says that he he will continue, God will continue to deliver us, deliver us from lesser things, deliver us, uh, (laughs) deliver us from what's happening right right now, like deliver, deliver us in the future in some ultimate sense. God is going to deliver us and comfort us that we might be able to comfort others even more. I love this. It's like, I'm going to set my hope on him. I'm going to align my heart with why, um, why this might be happening, why I'm experiencing it this way and what God wants to do with all of that. And then allowing that struggle to shape his story in powerful ways, allowing it to shape him in a way that allows him then to see the gift that it is to extend that comfort and healing and joy that he's experiencing to others. I say all this today as a reminder. I know many of you get this. Again, you're amening this. You're like, yes, of course. But like we, um, we the church, we this family, we this community, like we don't just need you to be healthy for your sake. We need you to be healthy for our and for our collective sake. Like this is, we have been blessed and we can experience blessing in the midst of, um, in the, the midst of the pain and allowing that to turn around and be able to be a blessing to others. I think about all that deliverance language. It's like this tribe was delivered over and over and over. The greatest deliverance story ever, right? The Exodus story. These people are delivered out of that. And then they are invited into ministries of deliverance. We need to see the larger story and the larger thing that God has done, is doing, and ultimately will do and allow that to capture our hearts. Where is the blessing, the comfort? Where have you experienced the joy of praising God in all circumstances? Because when we... When we... um, when we can own that larger story, when we can trust that God of all comfort, when we um, can truly believe I have a deep faith that God has made all things new, is making all things new, will make all things new. Then we, we get to experience like a, almost like a final blessing in the process. I always think of when Jesus says, it's better to give than it is to receive. It's like the, the cycle gets completed and then starts again. 
endured this hardship. I'm going to praise him even in this and be reminded of the story. As I praise him, I remember who he is. I experience his comfort. I recognize that that comfort and that blessing and that joy is meant to be extended to play tag and to tag somebody else. And then as I do that, as I make that tag, as I bless, as I drop off donuts to everybody in my neighborhood, as I call that one friend who's really lonely, as I go out of my way to break whatever like pretentious, ironic film that's all over me and simply like reach out with joy and goodness and give people like the hug that they actually need, as I lay down my life for others, as I like sign up to bless teachers this season, as I like lay down my life for my children and disciple them, even in the midst of whatever the thing may be. As I do that, Jesus says, oh man, it's actually better. You're gonna receive a whole other blessing in that giving. If we don't complete the cycle, if we only hoard, if we only clamor for comfort and experience and perseverance, if that's all that we do as followers of Jesus, we betray our identity in Christ. We betray, I should say, our calling. We betray what we've been invited to do and what we've been invited to step into. And so I say this again one last time as we close because I know that I have needed to be reminded of this time and time again. There is a difference between agreeing with something and stepping into it. There is a difference between knowing something is good and experiencing it. The entire movement of the Bible is from word to flesh. It's from things spoken to things enacted. It is all about embodiments we've been talking about. And so this is not something I hope that just sort of like encourages you and tickles your ear and goes, yeah, I'm glad I'm a church that talks about loving our city well. Let this be a week. Let it just, let's start with a day where you remind yourself and worship and praise of the God of all comfort and then complete the circle, complete the process, step in to loving and blessing those around you. Who are the people who you need to pray for? Who are the people you need to ask? Like, can you do anything for them? Who are the people that you need to extend a grace and loving hand to? Who are the people you need to talk to about Jesus? You need to invite into some spaces. Who are the people who who need to experience the comfort that you've experienced today, this week, this season, six seasons ago. Let's pray. Lord, I pray right now, like from the depths of my heart, Lord, I cry out for my own soul, for my family's soul, like the legacy that my family will leave, like the the legacy of every other family and individual is watching this right now. Lord, we want... um, We want to live into our call. We do not want to deny our call. Lord, our primary call of joining you in the renewal of all things, of allowing you to make your appeal of love and grace and reconciliation through us, Lord, of being comforters and healers and deliverers, Lord, like full of your grace and peace and love and joy and comfort, Lord. We go with whatever meager offering, Lord, and we extend that knowing, Lord, that we are more aligned with you, God, when we step out in blessing, that we are generous just as you are generous, that we are actually walking the way of Jesus and our disciple, Lord, when we begin to move towards others and do what you did. So keep us, Lord, from the, the, 
temptation of self-preservation. Keep us, Lord, from these, uh, these tribal traps, whether the tribe is our family or our church or our faith or our political world or, or just our comfort, our little like tribal comfort bubble, or keep us from the temptation that that stuff, any of that stuff is for us, Lord. As we repeat almost every Sunday, there is nothing we have that we have not received. And to spend everything on ourselves, Lord, we admit is to, is to, and to live without sacrifice is to walk the way of death, Lord. Today we choose life. Today we choose life. And so I just pray a blessing, Lord, on every person, Lord, that they would walk the way of life today. I just bless them with, with whatever small act of love and generosity and goodness, knowing that all goes on into eternity in your good kingdom, Lord. God, those that are suffering and feel like in desperate need of your comfort, Lord, God, would they trust your proximity to them? And Lord, would you, would you pour out your love, grace, and comfort on them again? Pray this all in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Man, I'm excited to see everybody in the Zoom. We're going to come and take communion together. If you're watching here in the morning gatherings, we are uh, going to gather around the bread and the cup and remember the greatest act of love the world has ever seen. So join us. <laughs>